If you have a Bible, please turn with me to 1 Peter chapter 2. That can be found on page 953 in the Black Pew Bibles, perhaps in the seats around you. If you don't have a Bible with you, I would encourage you to grab one of those black ones. It's what I'll be reading from. You can follow along with the very words that I'm about to read. Page 953 is where 1 Peter chapter 2 is found. I've organized this message into four parts. Part 1, the passage. 1 Peter 1, chapter 2, verse 4, or chapter 2, verse 4, all the way to chapter 2, verse 10. The passage, that's part 1. Part 2, a poem. I heard it from Don Carson. I think he might have wrote it. Part one, the passage. Part two, a poem. Part three, a parable. Part four, the point. In case you get lost or you're wondering how long that parable is going to last, it'll last a few minutes, but it won't be the end of the sermon. So there's your outline. I'm going to read the passage. I'm going to read a poem. I'm going to share a parable. And then we're going to talk about the point. First, the passage. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in scripture, behold, I'm laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor's for you who believe, but for those who do not believe. The stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word, as they were destined to do. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. As Peter just mentioned in chapter 1, the grass withers, the flowers fade, but the word of the Lord, which is the gospel, the good news, that will endure forever. Amen? Part 2, a poem. Heard it from Don Carson. I think he might have wrote it. Otherwise, Anonymous wrote it. Here's the stone, the living stone. God's chosen, precious cornerstone. The builders tossed the stone away, but Christ, the capstone, still holds sway. Christ, the capstone, still holds sway. And all who trust him find the same, for never are they put to shame. 
to those who disobey his call. He is the rock that makes them fall. He is the rock that makes them fall. We are the stones, the living stones. For Jesus Christ, whose death atones for all our sin, has made us light, transforming our immoral night, transforming our immoral night. A holy nation, royal priests alike, the greatest and the least. We sing his praise, his grace applaud, for we are the temple of our God. We are the temple of our God. Part three, a parable. I thought a parable would be helpful because of the word house. I believe this word house is a temple. But most of you aren't familiar with temples. You are familiar with houses. And the Bible uses these words interchangeably. God's house, God's temple. For the sake of making us all on the same page, I want you to imagine that you're looking to buy a new house. What's the realtor going to say? Location, location, location. Well, what's the location of this house? Answer, it's a bad neighborhood. This neighborhood is against your race. Your neighbors will speak evil things about you. Business owners have a reputation for not treating your ethnic group very well, and especially if you work for them. If you live in this house, you will suffer slander. Your family will be flayed with criticism. There will be block parties, but... If you do not participate in their debauchery, you will be harmed. The location of the house is not so great. It's not the most popular, not the best selling. Crime ridden, violence filled. Your neighbors are rude. And this may sound crazy, but each year, Year after year, people keep moving into this house. Why? I mean, certainly you got to be a little curious as to why. The realtor then says, well, let's look at its foundation. The location's not that good, but maybe the foundation's great. Well, it's a rejected foundation. Rejected by every home inspector and building expert. If you got 10 different home inspectors for this house, all 10 out of 10 would say, it's no good. But it's worse than that. If you ask 100 different building experts what they would use to build a house, would they use these materials for their foundation? 100 out of 100 would say, never in a million years. You're supposed to imagine all these builders going to their warehouse, rock quarry, sitting there and you watch them pick the right rocks, wood. And the house that your realtor is trying to get you interested in, it's the one that's built on the materials that every builder walks by and never gives a second look. Day by day, 
They toss this rock aside. That wood, it's no good. But every week, all around the world, there are people who know that the house is in a bad neighborhood. And they know that it has a rejected foundation. And they still move in. How could they? Why would they? doesn't make any sense. Surely there has to be a good reason. So the realtor goes on. Location, location, location. Well, maybe it's got a good foundation. Maybe it's not a fixer-upper. It's ready to go. Unfortunately not. This house requires a lot of work. Not turnkey ready. Every single room needs renovations. Every floor needs fixed. Every closet needs cleaned. It's obvious. The former owners of this house didn't care. So there you have it. A bad neighborhood, a rejected foundation that needs a lot of work. And yeah, you guessed it. Day after day, year after year, People keep moving into houses just like this. They're not even good at remodeling. It's not like they've got some great skill on their hip pocket fixing stuff up. This is starting to get ridiculous, isn't it? It must be a joke. Surely it's a parable. Or is this actually reality? What's the catch? Location, location, location. Bad neighborhood. Foundation? Most people wouldn't recommend it. Needs fixed up? What about the price? Yeah, let's talk about the price. It's over your budget. You could save up for your entire life. You could be the most successful person in the entire universe. You still couldn't afford it. So there it is. That's the house. Bad neighborhood. Rejected foundation, need lots of work, and not in a million years could you ever pay for it. Yet every Easter, from all over the world, people want to move in. Part four. What's the point? What's the point of the parable? If I were Jesus, and I was speaking at some point in his ministry, I would just sit down and say, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Go chew on that. But Jesus had a certain reason why he told parables, and I don't think it was always just to tell a good story. But he did tell good stories. The location. Point one of the point. If you're going to move into the house that God builds on this earth, it's in a bad location. Brothers and sisters, fellow Christians, this book says again and again, we're in exile. You will be mistreated, maligned, slandered, and suffer. In fact, when your fire alarm keeps going off and there's not just smoke in the house, there's a fire. Peter's going to tell you, why are you surprised? What were you expecting? 
although the neighborhood is really bad right now, soon enough, those that trust know that this neighborhood will turn around. We can live in this exile, in this house, in this neighborhood, because we know that all racism will be eliminated. All crime and slander will stop. That's why people move into this house. Millions of people pass over this house because of its location, trying to find the safest neighborhoods, the best schools, the nicest commodities. But what they don't realize is that those neighborhoods with those houses will soon be destroyed. Fire will sweep through and the foundation of their houses is not fireproof. Why do people move in? When all of these inspectors and builders pass over this house, they say quite plainly, it has a bad foundation. But time and time again, people keep moving in to that house with its rejected foundation because they disagree. The criteria used to evaluate the foundation of the homes is wrong. Rejected by men, but in the sight of God, precious. Do you see the difference? Do you realize that your tools of evaluation for what is good and bad need corrected? And that you don't have them in and of yourself. You need somebody with an outside perspective to determine, do you have a good foundation? For years, many of you were just like these builders and inspectors judging the foundation that is the gospel of Jesus. And based on its exterior, it did not look very good to you. But other things looked shiny, nice, looked real pretty, and then you moved in and you realized that as nice as the house looked on the outside, it was infested with mold. Brothers and sisters, our foundation, it is the rejected one. Don't be surprised when the rest of the world who uses a different standard to judge things thinks your foundation for life is stupid. That's why they're going to mock you, malign you, slander you, mistreat you. You look like a fool. Ten out of ten builders. Humanity as a whole, when the Lord Jesus Christ came into the world, they said, that won't last. That's no good. Are you starting to understand? If you know that the neighborhood's not going to last this way forever and that you need a fireproof foundation, you might want to reevaluate how you determine what house to live in. But what about all the work that's needed? Remember, this one's a fixer-upper. I don't like fixer-uppers. Maybe you do. There's a lot of work. This is one of the reasons many people get scared off from God's house, his church. We're talking about the church 
I'm talking about the people in this room right now. We're the house. We're the living stones built on the foundation that is Jesus Christ. We are God's temple. Is it precious to you? Or is it just something to do on a Sunday morning, early afternoon? The church, it's precious in God's sight. A lot of people are going to be driving by and passing by, and they will not think twice. You're wasting your time. God's word gives us home warranties, guarantees. They come included with the house. Yeah, there's a lot of work, but you will always have help to do the work. You'll never be left alone. Look what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 5. You yourselves, like living stones, are being built up on as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God and through Jesus Christ. Through the work that's needed to build. You're not doing it all by yourself. You're not alone. You're doing it with those sitting around you right now. But even we're not alone. It's not just the collective intelligence and skills of the people in this room. Embassy, we have God on our side. We build with God. We build through God. We build on God. We build to God. That's our house. That's who we are. This passage isn't telling us what to do or how to do it. It's stating what is. Ah. You know how important it is for you to be like Jesus? Be like Jesus. I think that's an appropriately good sermon. That's not this sermon. You are on Jesus. You are like Jesus. He's the rejected living stone. You are living stones on him. You're tethered to him. You're united to him. There's a deep, intimate bond with us and Jesus. You're not alone. You've got the best builder, the best foundation, and even though there's a lot of work, you've got guarantees. You've got home warranties. This work will last. It'll last. Have you ever done a home project and it didn't last? I'm trying, guys. I'm trying to get it right, but it doesn't always last. It gets broken again. Tried to fix our foundation, literally in our house. I thought it was turnkey ready, and then it starts leaking all over in our basement water. So I tried to help fix it. And then guess what happened when it started raining this last week? More water in the basement. You ever felt the futility of earthly work? Huh. You won't be alone, and the work that's done will be thorough and accurate and the best, and it will last. How about that for a guarantee? How many people have come into your house and be like, let me help you with your foundation, sir. This will last forever, I promise. I'll put my life on the line for it. Like that? No one. They might give you a piece of paper. They might say they'll come back and try and fix it if it gets broke. But the guarantees that come with this house for the building of this house, it's why you should be willing to embrace the fixing up for you and for one another. 
He's doing the building in this text. He's doing the building. Through Jesus is the only way that there will be any spiritual sacrifices or work done that will be acceptable to God. You need Jesus. You need him in the beginning. You need him in the middle. You need him in the end. You need him under you. You need him in you. You need him through you. Jesus. That's the point. Have you got the point yet? We're not done yet, but have you got the point? Jesus. He's our sure foundation. He's our hope. He's our builder. People are crazy enough to move into a bad neighborhood with a rejected foundation that needs a lot of work because they know that that work will last. How about the price? We can't afford it. How are people moving into this house every year, every day, every Easter? How in the world? Here's the price. Peter's already made it clear already in chapter 1. If you look at verse 18 and following. You were ransomed from the feudal ways that were inherited from your forefathers, not with perishable things such as silver or gold. Not with silver or gold. The price to live in this house on Jesus, with Jesus, through Jesus. Like that of a lamb, without blemish or spot, you were purchased with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. That's why you could never afford it. You didn't move into this house. You're not a member of this church because you earned it, achieved it, performed it. It's mercy. You were once not a people, and then you became a people. You once had not received mercy, and now you have received mercy. And for those of you that know your Bibles, you know that this is now the sixth passage in our text that Peter quotes from the Old Testament. As a little parenthesis, maybe that's a good reminder yet again that 1 Peter 1, 10 to 12 says the Old Testament's for you. It's about Jesus, but for you. And here he applies Hosea chapter 2 to you. Look at the text again with me. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10. This is an important point. This is the price for why you have any business being in this room and being actually a part of this house. Verse 10. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Go to Hosea chapter 2. You don't have to right now. But you will know that there is a promise given to a prophet that God's people would be so rebellious and stubborn and sinful that God would say, you're no longer my people anymore. So when he's talking here in Hosea, he's talking about a people that was his people that became not his people. And then all through the New Testament, people like Peter and Paul in Romans chapter 11, 9 to 11, talk about how that people, through the blood of Jesus, has been purchased and redeemed. The price 
for redemption and ransom and rescue and being owned. Do you see that in verse 9? You're a people who is his possession because he bought you. He ransomed you. He paid for you. And in the story of Hosea, chapter 3, Hosea is being told that his wife is a demonstration of that sinful, adulterous, idolatrous kind of nation. And then God tells Hosea, I will bring her back. And so I want you to be an example to all of the world that who was once my people, that did not become my people because of their sin, I'm going to bring them back. And they'll be my people again. And he says that he will allure her. He will bring her back into his arms and he will purchase her. This is Hosea chapter 2. Let me just read to you this text. It's beautiful. Therefore, behold, I will woo her. I will allure her. I will bring her into the wilderness and I will speak tenderly to her. And there I will give her vineyards and I will make the valley of Achor the valley that was filled with destruction and sin, that valley will become a door of hope. The door to God's house was once a place known for sin, and now the place known for sin is the front door to his house, and it's a door of hope. And there she will answer, as in the days of her youth, as when she came out of the land of Egypt, again, this is bought, purchased, redeemed, rescuing, out of slavery, and now set free into this beautiful marriage. And the Lord declares on that day, you will call me my husband, and no longer will you call me my Baal, for I will remove the names of the Baals from her mouth, and they shall be remembered by name no more. And I will make for them a covenant on that day with the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens, and the creeping things on the ground. And I will abolish the bow and the sword and war from the land. Violence will be gone in the neighborhood. And I will make you lie down in safety. And I will betroth you to me forever. And I will betroth you to me with righteousness and justice, with steadfast love and mercy. You will be so united. And with Jesus in this house, you'll become like him. And everything will get cleaned up. Are you a sinner? You'll become righteous. Do you lack justice? You'll become just. By virtue of the new union you have in your marriage to Jesus. I will betroth you to me with my faithfulness. And then you will know the Lord. And this is precisely what God tells Hosea. So go to her again. Love the woman who is being loved by another man and is an adulteress, even like the Lord loves the children of Israel. Though they turn to other gods and they love cakes of raisin, so I bought her. That's the price. He bought her. And God tells Hosea, I want you to demonstrate my purchase price for my people. When our passage ends with that description in 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 10, once you were not a people, but now you are a people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You have to know Hosea. You have to know the story of a woman who has run off to other lovers and that God says, I still want her. I'm going to woo her back. I'm going to chase her down. 
I love her too much, and I will do whatever it takes. I will pay the greatest price. Peter's telling us that's what Jesus did when he came into this world. And he lived a perfect, sinless life, that lamb without spot or blemish. And then sacrificially gave up himself on a cross, dying for all of us. If you would repent and believe and put your hope, not just that his sins was the payment, but his resurrection was the down payment, and that his ascension into heaven would pour out the Spirit of God so that you could start getting cleaned up already now. And have hope. Hope that one day the neighborhood will be made new. Hope that one day when the fire burns and all the other houses give way, your foundation's a solid rock. Hope that the finished work of Jesus on the cross will make you a new creature and the work he already began, he will finish when he returns. There's hope. There's hope because of Jesus. So I hope you see the point. If you're here today and you're not a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ, you have a foundation, not just of your physical home. You have a foundation for your life. And if it is not Jesus Christ, then you will be destined like these people to stumble and fall. There's two options in this text. There's faith that leads to honor. And there's rejection of Jesus that leads to dishonor. Each of us needs to understand the severity of your choice for your foundation. Make it Christ. It's a pretty clear decision when you know the whole story. If you're caught up in just what the inspectors of this world say and the evaluation of men and women, you'll make the wrong choice. But if you believe that perhaps there's a different way to look at what's going on in your life and in the world, I submit to you, the scriptures give a seriously better testimony of evaluating the problem of this world and its solution. Take Jesus. Don't find at the end of the day that your house gets burned down. Embassy Church, remember that this text is not telling you necessarily even what to be. It's emphatically telling us who we are. Jesus is a living stone, and then it says, we're living stones too. Jesus was rejected by men, and Peter will repeatedly say, you'll be rejected by men. Peter's saying that Jesus made a sacrifice once for all for your sins, and you too will build off of that, and you will give your life and make spiritual sacrifices through him. You see how all over the place there's this union and uniting that you and I, we're a lot like Jesus. Not be a lot like Jesus, you are a lot like Jesus. And the only thing that makes you a part of this house is your faith and trust to receive the gift. I wonder how that might change your understanding of your personal individual identity. And I wonder how that might change the identity of Embassy Church. I want you to give that some thought. Members of this church, individually, do you realize that time and time again, you live in a world that wants you to tell you who you are individually based on the differences between you and other people around you. That's the classic job of the basic home inspectors of this world. They want to tell you, well, look at the people around you and then make comparisons off of them and then you'll have a sense of identity. 
The truest thing about you is not on the differences between you and other people. The truest thing about you is what God Almighty has said. His evaluation of you. Not how you stack up in intelligence, or what family you came from, where you were born, what your family religion was when you grew up. These are not the truest things about you. So I would encourage you to do a deep dive and have lots of conversations for literally the rest of your life to tease out this implication. Your identity is wrapped up in the word of God and in the truth of the gospel. And then if you start living as if that's true, you're going to be a different kind of person. Can I give you just one little story? Well, I'm gonna. <laughs> Recently, in my home, no names named, but a child. I have five of them, so you can make your guesses. They were having a difficult time with a task that was happening. And they wanted to quit. So, I allowed them, because it was not a requirement, if you want to be done, be done. You don't have to do it anymore. And so they quit. Everyone else was having a good time. We were enjoying this recreational activity. And then I saw this child say, I want to try again. And I said, I'm so encouraged. I'm really glad. I was kind of thinking during this whole ordeal. Do I have a quitter for a kid? I don't want quitters for kids. I mean, it's okay if they don't like this thing that we're doing, but come on. Well, I have to pray, try again. But when they said, hey, I want to try again, I asked, why do you want to try again? Warmed my heart. Howls don't quit. Yes. <laughs> Proud daddy moment. It's a fun story. It's a funny story. How much deeper is the reality? If you know yourself to be chosen, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people called out for his possession. He owns you, called out of darkness and into his marvelous light. Embassy Church, we need some work to do. Still got a lot of work on this house. That's normal, that's expected. But here's a little tool as we close on this resurrection Easter Sunday. I want us as a church to think about how our identity as a community should be sheer, marvelous, awestruck, dumbfounded. Can you believe we're in this house? If that doesn't shape our identity as a community, then we'll have even more work to do. But I think that we will make great, great progress if as a baseline, as a normal tool, as a normal way for us to get busy with the work of growing in godliness and being built up and offering spiritual sacrifices, if you and I would take the posture of, I cannot believe that I am privileged to sit at this table. I'm in awe. 
No, the opposite of this approach would be, well, of course I'm in church. I'm probably one of the best people that God could have chosen. Do you see the difference? Somebody who's entitled, feeling deserving, thinking that, of course I should be in church. Of course I'm a Christian. I wonder if it would be just a normal kind of fundamental move in your heart and in your lips and in the way you interact with people if you just realize, guys, can you believe the deal we have? Can you believe that even though this neighborhood's bad, we know our foundation will last. We know that the work will last. We know that everything will be made new. It's a good deal. It's, it's one of those, pinch me, are, are you serious? And I think if we understand the gospel like that and live that out, there's a lot of good work that will build us in the way God has commanded, desires, and what he wants to do with our church. So let's close in a word of prayer. A prayer of humble gratitude and thanks. God, are you serious? You love us like this? We were the adulterous woman. Thank you, God. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, what a privilege it is to call you Father, that we are adopted into a family because of your son Jesus, that he was rejected so that now we can be accepted, that our sin, the Valley of Achor, has now become the place where you've stamped down a door of hope. Thank you for the hope that we have in Jesus. Thank you for the precious promises and the statements of reality that your word communicates to us again and again. Thank you, thank you, thank you for Jesus. Thank you for the precious blood of the cross. Thank you for opening our eyes to your marvelous light and taking us out of the darkness like you did Jesus when you rolled that tomb away, the stone from the tomb. Thank you for doing that in our hearts, for giving us this new life already that we can live in this house. Oh God, we want to pray that Embassy Church, each of its individual members, but even collectively, we will deepen our roots in our identity found in the gospel. We ask that you would do this for the glory of your great name and for the purpose of declaring your excellencies to all nations. In Jesus' name, amen.